you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to begin chapter 8 of the book of Acts. Now, some of you may have said that was, that was an interesting video from one of our supported workers, and I'm not going to say their names. And that's one of the reasons we had to shut down the live feed. Um, and you may say, well, that was kind of an interesting video in that we basically got to hear a cute story and, a, and watch them fly off on a moped. Um, but a supported worker um, works in a severely closed country. And to, to say certain things uh, on the Internet or to show certain things could put them in trouble with the law. Um, it also could get them thrown out of the country. So the video is mo- mostly to say we're here, we're doing well, and thank you. And so that's kind of a, one of the reasons you saw that there. So with your copies of God's Word, um, Stephen has been stoned for what the Sanhedrin has said is blasphemy. And that is what we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 8. So Saul, who will soon become the Apostle Paul and write most of the New Testament, Saul, who was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death, And on that day, great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the region in Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud weeping, loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, in dragging off men and women and putting them all into prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word of God. Philip went down into the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And there would have been a certain woman at the well who knew exactly what he was talking about. And Philip went down to Samaria. Verse 6, the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was being said by Philip as they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and saw these signs which he was performing out of them. And, 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 in, and in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with loud voices. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were being healed. And there was much joy and much rejoicing in that city. Let's ask God's blessing and we'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is through the renewing of our mind that we are transformed. And you gave us your word, your holy Bible. Lord, we cannot become more like you. Our faith cannot grow. Our walk cannot be stronger. Our love For you cannot grow absent from your word. Without your word, we cannot be transformed. So, Father, this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach, would break the ground of our hearts that it may be fertile in receiving. I pray that you would give us eyes to see it, ears to hear it. That through our mind, our heart and soul would become more and more in love with you. I confess my sin, of which I have many. I confess that most of my sin is on purpose. I confess that most of my sin is because I love myself. 
And I ask for your daily forgiveness. I ask that you carry as much water as you see fit to glorify yourself from this broken pot. I pray that you would get all the glory for that. Thank you for these people. Father, they are yours. And I pray this, God, and I ask this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say something. One theologian, visitors are going, this is nuts. This is our last Sunday here. And they've been able to uh, determine that within about 25 minutes. One theologian described the church's journey through the book of Acts this way. He said, following the church through the book of Acts is like following a wounded deer through the forest. Drops of blood will mark the trail. Little did the disciples realize when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Little did they know that the path outward from Jerusalem would come from extreme persecution of the gathering of the church. Things just keep escalating in Jerusalem as they do in our day as well. I mean, think about it. It's slowly becoming more and more pressing. We move from the Sanhedrin warning the apostles to just keep quiet. You'll find that in Acts 4.21. Just, just keep it down. Then, they, because they didn't keep it down, they whipped them 39 times. And the apostles left in joy for being considered worthy of being uh, persecuted for Christ. We find that in chapter 5, verse 40. And now in chapter 7, verse 58, we see that the first Christian is martyred for their faith. And by the way, do you see him? Stephen's body still lays in the dirt still lays in the dirt and the dust of the ground outside the city walls. The 71 members of the Sanhedrin, after killing him, do the most, most insulting thing you could ever do to a, to a covenant-keeping Jew, which is to just walk away and leave his body in the dirt. They pick up their coats from the feet of Saul. Ignoring all responsibility of the Mishnah and the Talmud and the Torah. And in, in absolute insult and hatred. Remember, they burned after being sawed open in half with rage. With the, with, with the rage of a demonic pig we found in Mark chapter 5. They, they just leave in their anger. They leave him in the dirt. To rot. And it is here that we see where this text begins. Take a look at verses 1 through 3. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, great persecution began against the church. Why? We're going to find out. And they, they fled to Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Paul got so ticked, he just started going into house after house, putting everyone in prison. There are a lot of little details here that can give the illusion that they're just kind of utilities to push the story forward. If this were a movie, we would think this verse is just kind of some plot development and character development here. But if we take time to notice them, they'll provide with some significant application for our lives just roughly 2,000 years later. It says this, and they were scattered throughout the regions into Judea and into Samaria. You know, it was Jesus who said, if they persecute me, they will 
persecute you. Like a, like a, a ripe dandelion that only spreads its seed when violently shaken, so is the church. In that the spread of the gospel seeds spread most effectively when the church is shaken. When the church is persecuted. I am becoming more and more convinced that one of Satan's greatest attacks on the American church, and and, and more specifically than that, the American cultural Christian, one of the greatest attacks on our cultural Christian in America today is to allow us to exist with as little visible hostility towards it as possible. To allow us to exist with no cost for loving Christ. Thereby causing the church to become lethargic and complacent. There's our first question. Are we lethargic? Are we complacent? Because faith in America is just that easy. Now it says this. Oh, by the way, herein lies a universal truth. We tend to not value that which costs us nothing. We tend to not value that which costs us nothing. If the church is expendable to us in our lives, it is likely because we have invested very little into the body of Christ. If Christ Himself is, is, we can give or take Him, if He is expendable in our lives, it is because we have not invested our heart and soul into Him. Oh, we may have said a prayer. We may have repeated after a Sunday school teacher, but have we given our lives? Have we given our dreams? Have we given our future, our hope, our love? And here's one, our will to Him. Because when you give Christ these things, He becomes amazingly valuable to us. Now, it says here that they all scattered except for about 12 Hebrew Jews, and hopefully context is beginning to seep into your consciousness here when I say the word Hebrew Jews, because we're about to talk about Hellenistic Jews in just a moment. These Hebrew Jews, all except the apostles, stayed behind. Or the apostles stayed behind. This seems to tell us that the primary object of persecution is Hellenistic or dispersed, diaspora Jews. Stephen, who by the way is still dead and lying in the ground, was a Hellenistic Jew. Soon Philip, that we'll see in a moment, will be introduced. He too is a Hellenistic Jew. Just for a a quick reminder, Hellenistic Jews were those um, that lived outside of the land of Israel, that lived in Gentile territories, and kind of took on the culture in which they lived. And, And the Hebrew Jews who never left Israel were born and raised in Jerusalem proper and in the land of Israel. They kind of thought of themselves as as first class Jews. And these these dispersed Jews that left the country and absorbed other people's cultures, they were Hellenistic. Jews, and they were second-class citizens. So we can kind of understand why the Sanhedrin, if they're going to pick the first object of persecution, it's going to be the ones no one around them likes. Easy pickings. Pre-approved targets, if you will. Now, with that being said, as you can see, they were second-class citizens. F.F. Bruce tells us that from this time onward, the church in Jerusalem appears to consist almost entirely of Hebrew Jews. Those are Jews who have always lived in Israel 
and read from the Hebrew Torah. You remember? Because the Hellenistics, they read from the Greek Torah. If you remember a few weeks ago, the Hellenistics used the wrong Bible version. Aren't you glad the spirit of man has no longer like that today? Amen? What version do you use? Well, give it time. You'll get to my version. Second class. Oh, the heart of man doesn't change. Can I get a witness to that? We just don't change. The apostles likely felt a duty to remain in Jerusalem and continue their mission there. Hebrew Christians felt a great loyalty to Jerusalem. However, eventually we do see within the book of Acts, contextually, that they too begin to be persecuted. And by Acts chapter 12, they flee the city as well. But I want you to notice something here. Stephen's body still lays on the ground dead. And it says this. Now, this is interesting. Now, we'll read over this a thousand times, and I can almost guarantee you that you have never seen the detail you're about to see. I can almost guarantee you, you are about to learn something new. How many here like learning something new from the Word of God? Okay, good. Several of you apparently could care less. That was interesting. And I took your name down. Some devout men... Yeah, it's in the purple here. Jason, you, you probably, it's, never mind. All right. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I love my brother, Jason. He's colorblind. The purple, some devout man buried Stephen. Why? Because this is a violation of Old Testament and Talmud and Mishnah. All right. They, they buried Stephen and made loud wailings and cried out for him. Big deal. Big deal. We do that for a deer on the side of the street. Sometimes, depending on our schedules. Okay, we don't. We very ever rarely do that. But I would because I love God's creation. Now, we can read past this like a speeding train and miss an important detail here that will show us why Saul began to get so angry and persecuted the church so violently. This word, some devout men buried Stephen. The word devout here almost certainly does not point to members of the Christian church. It does not point to members of the church or followers of Christ. These are not Christians who buried Stephen. But rather, in fact, we find the word devout Jews, that word also could be pious Jews. That word also could be translated Hebrew Jews. We find that word used other areas in Scripture to, to, to uh, describe Hebrew Jews. Or even, it could include Hellenistic Jews, but not Christians. In fact, this was likely members of Stephen's Hellenistic synagogue that was inside of Jerusalem. In fact, John MacArthur, you know how I know this? John MacArthur says so. That's how I know this. Acts chapter 2, 5, Luke 2, 25. Another commentator who, by the way, has the best last name in the world named Longnecker. I would not want to be raised with that last name. You want something rich, powerful, like, I don't know, Boomsma, you know? <laughs> something that just commands respect. <laughs> What's up? What's Who laughs so loud? Who was that? Was that you? No? You lied. Yeah, you did. We're in church. We lie after church, all right? 
Longnecker, and MacArthur. So if these two guys agree, who, who could disagree with them? Says this. These are likely to have been non-Christian Jews that had sympathy towards a Hellenistic follower of Christ. Now we go, okay, big deal. Big deal. Now I want you to hold on to that and bring it with you. And these Jewish men who had sympathy for a Hellenistic Jew, all right, made loud lamentations over him. Here's a question, and I want you to answer this. Just shout it out if you know the answer, all right? How was Stephen killed? Go. Stone. We got it. All right. Hold on to that. And by the way, he's Hellenistic. He's, second, he's a second-class citizen. And when he accepted Christ... When he accepted Christ as his personal Savior and became a follower and joined the church, he became a zero-class citizen. He was stoned. Why was he killed? What were the charges? Talk to me. Blasphemy. So he was stoned, blasphemy, and who decided to kill him? There's 71 of them. Who is it? The Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel. Now, The handbook of the Supreme Court of Israel called the Mishnah states this. It is forbidden to give any public lamentation, wailing or grieving over anyone who has been killed for blasphemy by the spiritual authorities. You were not, you were allowed to bury them, but you were to do it quietly, quickly and not draw any attention to it because they were not worthy of being missed. Now, If you tread in the waters of nerdy dumb like me, this gets even better. Those of you who are cool, go ahead and take a nap, all right? But this is good here. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to bring what you were holding in your hand, all right, that this is a zero-class citizen follower of Jesus Christ, a Hellenistic Jew, being buried by Jewish people, all right, that had sympathy for him. Now, bring that with you, all right? This is devout non-Christian Jews are making loud wailings over a Hellenistic, zero-class citizen Stephen as they bury him. Now, this is culturally remarkable. This is a mushroom cloud in the culture just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. This is nothing less than a loud public protest against the Sanhedrin. And the death of Stephen, they protest the death of the... We, remember we studied last week, they didn't even follow Roman law, and they did not follow Jewish law. This was mob justice. They are protesting the death of Stephen against their own authorities, that they believe the death of Stephen was not legally executed And now let's really pop it. This is like the inception of hermeneutics here, all right? We're going to go deeper into this detail. Here it is. What kind of Jew is Stephen? He's Hellenistic. How were Hellenistic Jews viewed in Jerusalem? Second-class citizens, not to mention a follower of Jesus Christ. Now with this in mind, see this. Here it is. Devout Hellenistic and Hebrew Jews are honoring a second-class citizen named Stephen in a way that publicly protests the Holy pure Sanhedrin. Do you begin to understand why Saul is infuriated? He's filled with rage? This cannot stand. 
We don't even have to imagine. It says right in Scripture, imagine the message this sends to the Sanhedrin and Saul with this brazen protest against them over the second-class Jew, he may have sensed that things are beginning to ravel under control. Jerusalem is religiously turning into a dumpster fire. Things are beginning to spin out of control with this cancer called Christianity who, who believes in a high divinity of Christ which is incompatible with Judaism at this time. Devout Hebrew Jews of all kinds, by the way, are responding to the gospel, are they not? We had 120 in the upper room. Then we had 2,000 saved. Then we had up to 5,000 saved. And that was just men. You have Pentecost and you have, you have people in the temple. And finally, there were so many of these Christians that they stopped counting them. And the people revered them. And they, 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 they had an affinity towards these believers because they were so devout and loving. And the fruit of the Spirit came out of them. They sold their position, possessions. The growth was unbelievable. They were responding to the gospel. At last count, there's at least fifteen to 20,000 of them in Jerusalem. And they are speaking up for Jesus while challenging the leadership of the Sanhedrin. Saul must respond with absolute clarity here before others join in, which is why we see a very unusual word pop here. And it says this, Saul began ravaging the church. Now this word ravaging is the only time you'll ever see it in the New Testament. It's the only time you see it in the New Testament. It, it, this word in the Greek implies, now grab this, Sadistic cruelty. Sadistic cruelty. Torturous behavior. Torturous behavior. Just threw stones at an innocent man. The imagery is often used as a lion pulling its prey apart. How many here love the Discovery Channel or Nature Channels or, or all those high definition for? I got one brother back there. Is that the okay? I got two over here. That's our altar call today. All right. I love watching. One of my favorite things is when the deer are crossing through the river in the savanna and these crocodile eyes are right there. I don't know why I like this. I don't know why. I feel bad for the deer, but I feel like they should have learned their lesson by now. And they that go out, or that lion, I, I can't, well, I, they chase the prey, and then he jumps on the back, and those claws, those claws and it's then I kind of have to look away, because I'm not that manly, all right? Although the beard would say otherwise. Huh? What were we talking about? Because lions have beards too, don't they? They call them manes. My wife calls mine the mane too. So, And they start pulling at that deer. How many here just kind of have to look away at that time? Anyone at all? I do. I've got to look away. The thing's not even dead yet. And he's like tearing its rear end. No. That's the imagery, imagery, I can't talk today, of sadistic cruelty to pull it apart. So vile were his actions that Saul, who will become Paul, 
literally described his behavior with his own words like this. He said, my actions against the church were graceless and they were vindictive. Chapter 22, verse 4 of the book of Acts. That's from his own mouth. I bet you some of the Christians during this time might have taken those words and pushed them a little further. Sadistic and cruel. In fact, it says right here, he entered house after house, dragging off men and women. Shouldn't be touching another man's woman in this culture. Dragging them and putting them in prison. Now with this persecution of the church, like a ripe dandelion being shaken violently, we understand why we have Dispora Jews. Dispora Jews... It's just a fancy word for dispersed. If you were being persecuted, what do you do? Talk to me, church. You what? You run. You become refugees. And they are fleeing Jerusalem and they are going into Judea. And so bad was it that one of them by the name of Phil decided to go down into Samaria. And that's where we pick up our next part of scripture they flee to judea and samaria and look at at the seeds of the church flying through the air at this time here we go and it starts out therefore those who had been scattered and you can read for yourself uh, and, and the lame were healed and there was rejoicing in the city what i want you to notice is the first word here therefore so we got to find out what therefore is therefore therefore because of the violent Sadistic, cruel, violent, lion-stripping cruelty of Paul and the, the Sanhedrin. Because of that persecution, those who had been scattered through all the area, all the places, began preaching the Word. Now this word preaching is kind of an unfortunate word translated into our English understanding. Because when we hear the word preach, we think about what I'm doing right here. Like there's a, a class and there's a teacher and stuff like that. But it's, it's much more intimate than this. We must enforce a full stop here. What we see here must be observed in our lives. Here's where the application begins to rise from the text. The word preaching is where we get the English word evangelism. They evangelized everywhere they went. They were not just giving, by the way. It doesn't say... And they were teaching really good moral stories and self-help tips and telling people how to be better parents and manage their money while promoting social justice issues against the occupying force of Rome. Which a lot of the American church has drifted towards as well. In fact, very rarely do we ever see the church in the New Testament spending their energy on all of these peripheral things. Their primary message, their primary goal in word and in deed was the gospel, the evangelism, the good news of Jesus Christ. And there, by the way, there's nothing wrong with fighting injustice with biblical justice. Biblical justice is about the heart. It is the equality of individuals before the law of God. Fighting for biblical justice is noble and right. And all these other peripheral issues are, are good things. But to fight these things at the neglect of the gospel. 
to fight these things at the neglect of the gospel in the abandonment of biblical truth is to completely fail at the primary goal of the church and to erect nothing less than idols of, of social approval in our lives. My friends, we are here to seek and save the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the end. That's why we're here. Everything else takes care of itself. Notice everyone who was scattered did it. All those who were scattered and dispersed. Let me be clear of something. While it is true that some have been given the gift of evangelism, some of us have the gift of evangelism. They just walk into the room and people are like, What must I do to be saved? And you're like, I hate that person. You may experience that you share the gospel and people say, what? Go away. Or maybe they treat you poorly. Whatever the case may be. It is true that some people have the gift of evangelism. It just oozes. You know, is Rochelle Visser here? Is she here at all? Right there. She has the gift of evangelism. She's just like, hi, my name's Rochelle. Jesus died for you. It's like, whoa. Can we, is there a bridge here? But she loves sharing the gospel, and I love that about her, and it challenges me. Matt Sally, is Matt here? No, because he's drifted, all right? (laughs) Everywhere Matt goes, he shares the gospel. He tried to lead me to Christ two weeks ago. It was the beard. He didn't recognize me. Now, while it is true that some people have the gift of evangelism, it is equally true That every single one of us in this room, me and you, are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether we're good at it or bad at it. And all of God's children must say, because it's from His Word, must say what? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Even if you stink at it. Share Jesus. Here's a question for all of us, especially me. When is the last time you have clearly shared the gospel with a friend? Not did something nice, that's good. Not maybe agree on a political, social issue, that may be nice. But when is the last time the gospel clearly came out of our mouths? Whether it be a friend, a co-worker, a family member. Invited them to church. Many of us might say, I think if we're being honest, might say it's been a long, long time. Which must be followed up with our next question. Why? Why has it been a long time? Fear? Heart? You know the answer better than I do. I know my answer. Let me take a moment to define what the sharing the gospel is. Because the truth of the matter is, you would be hard-pressed to find in many, many pulpits and churches today what the true definition of the gospel is. In fact, R.C. Sproul, I was reading his book not too long ago, said the exact same thing. Most churches today couldn't even clearly define the gospel. It has become traces of everything and everywhere until it's become nothing. 
We substitute the gospel with peripheral or outer definitions and applications. So here is the gospel. The gospel is simply this. It is the person, life, and work of Jesus Christ and how it can be appropriated into our lives. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. It is who Jesus is, how he lived his life, what he did on the cross, and how it can be applied to our souls for salvation and sanctification. It's who he is, it's what he did, and how we can get it. That is the gospel. Everything else is gravy. But we need the meat. Without the meat, the gravy is kind of pointless. I was listening to a podcast this week that my wife sent to me. She is the podcast queen. She sent me one this week that was really fit well. I was reading while I was reading for my sermon, she sent me this podcast and I was I was reading commentaries and praying over this passage just to show a window of my heart and I hope it's correct. My primary calling in life is to gorge myself on the Word of God all week long and then just offer you a well-prepared meal. And in this podcast, it said this, churches are beginning to tell kids uh, not, I'm sorry, are beginning to not tell kids and children's ministries that Jesus died for them. They're leaving out the part of the death And the cross of Jesus Christ. Because here's the reason. It might make kids anxious. And it might make kids feel depressed. So we're going to whitewash the death of Christ out of the gospel. Compare that to the words of Paul when he said, I am resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now notice some additional information here and we'll wrap it up here in the next 40 minutes. Notice this here, all right? They went through places preaching the Word. I want us to be washed thoroughly with the simple and ordinary truth. Because the church has lost the simplicity. Oh, keep it simple, silly. Isn't that how it is? It's kiss, keep it silly. Keep it simple. It's a child of God, silly. We've lost the simplicity of God's plan with evangelism. Let the simple, ordinary truth just lay on the surface and just pick it up. Here it is. Went through places preaching the Word. Here it is. Ordinary believers spoke the Gospel wherever they went. Well, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. It is too simple to work. How many here say we at least need a committee? Amen? You want to know what a committee is? A committee is a group of the... What's the first word? Unqualified. To do the unnecessary. Voted in by the unwilling. This is too simple. It must be squashed before things get out of our control. Ordinary believers spoke the gospel wherever they went. And when I say ordinary, I'm looking at them. And you're looking at him. People like you and me. Second class citizens, if you will. Rejected from the community. And when I say ordinary and wherever, that is exactly what we see here. Look how ordinary one of them is. 
Philip, the name alone. Phil. Phil. Do we have a Phil here, by the way? I want to make sure I'm not offending anyone. I sure I, I'm sure I am on the, on the internet. I love the name Philip. I don't like the name Phil. No, I'm teasing. It's a good name. Philip. I don't know why I did that. Now I'm in trouble. Delete that, will you? This is not the Philip the Apostle. This is not one of the twelve. Philip the Apostle is still in Jerusalem. We see that in verse 1. This is Philip the Hellenistic Jew. Ah, like Stephen. Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew. Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. In fact, Philip was one of the original seven that were, that were chosen in Acts chapter 6 verse 5 to become the not really office of the deacon serving widows who were being neglected. On top of that, Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew. Hellenistic Jews were the primary focus of persecution. We see that beginning to come up again. Now that we understand how ordinary Philip is, he was nothing more than a table server for a while. Let us look at wherever these ordinary people went. They went to the city of Samaria. Now, if you think living in Caledonia is bad, all right, Let me tell you how Samaria was viewed. By the way, who here lives in Caledonia? It's a beautiful area. I just, hey, welcome, weary travelers. We love you. Thank you for being here today. So let's move away from Caledonia. It is the Columbus of Israel, all right? I feel like that's more accurate. 71 members of the Sanhedrin represents the football team of Columbus. Here's where we're going with this. This ordinary man goes to Samaria. Now you've heard that Samaritans were not loved. Let me take that and just shove it down into the swamp a little bit here. Samaritans were considered half-breed Jews. How racist is that? Half-breed Jews. They were often referred to as dogs by Hebrew Jews because they intermarried with the Assyrians in 721 B.C. when they were taken captive. They were taken captive. Not a lot of guys to date when you have an occupying force and you're a slave to the country, so you intermarry, which is a high violation of the Sanhedrin's rules, and you come back and you live in Samaria, you are a half-breed compromising dog. So hated were the Samaritans that Jewish rabbis taught to eat bread with a Samaritan was like eating the flesh of swine. And pig was not high on the menu in Judaism. It was an unclean animal. In fact, so unclean were they that the daughters of Samaritans were considered unclean. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote about that. Now, you may say, wow, that's really racist. Let me show you how far their hatred goes. So hated were the Samaritans that even their money was no good to a Hebrew Jew. In fact, the Samaritans offered to help pay and give resources to the rebuilding of the temple. And the Hebrew Jews said, we don't want your stinking money. And they sent them away. My friends, that is when you know your hatred has matured. When you won't even take someone's money. 
And it is here that we see that there is absolutely no Dutch heritage in the land of Israel at this time. I cannot imagine saying no to that. Now, with all this in mind, remember, Jesus already has a a gospel plant in Samaria, and it's not a man. Anyone want to venture a guess? Well, where, where did Jesus find her? Talk to me. At the well. Jesus talked to a dog, swine, half-breed, keep-your-money woman. She knows all about Christ. In fact, she was, in many ways, the first evangelist there. She ran away telling others about Jesus. With all this in mind, remember when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman at the well for a drink of water. With all that I just brought up, all those levels of racism and hate and all that stuff in history and background, listen to the words of the Samaritan one more time. The Samaritan woman, when she spoke to Jesus, when he asked for a drink of water and let the context explode with all this background, and then we're almost done. Here it is. Therefore, there it is. Now I'm going to throw in some of our study into this. Therefore, the half-breed Samaritan unclean woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a man, a Hebrew Jew, ask me for a drink? You might as well just eat the flesh of a pig, since I am an unclean dog. For Hebrews have no dealings, even with money, with half-breeds like me. So what we have here is Philip is no big shot. He is a Hellenistic refugee in a hostile environment called Samaria that he is not even there by choice yet. And here's our application and we're done. No evening service tonight. What time is it? 12.07. We'll be out shortly. Here it is. And it's found in this blue part right here. Ordinary believers spoke the gospel wherever they went. You smell that? This is for us. In Grand Rapids, Hudsonville, Jenison, Wyoming, even Caledonia. My friends, this is the evangelistic model of Scripture. Notice his mission trip was not approved and put into action by the evangelism and outreach team of Ascending Church, as good as that may be. He didn't go to Samaria and say, hey, my church has an outreach team here that I give money to. Or I support a local outreach ministry here in Samaria and I'll leave that to them. No. What he did was unbelievably simple. It will blow our minds. He simply took advantage of the opportunities given to him wherever he found himself standing. He simply shared Christ with whoever he met. Wherever his feet were, that was the place that God called him to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, this is the most simple application we will ever stare at in the book of Acts. Yet it is the most potent strategy the church could possibly implement for kingdom growth. We live in a day of never-ending parachurch organizations. And while many of them are not evil, in fact, some of them by nature are very good, 
The truth of the fact is many of our parachurch organizations exist simply because we have neglected the most simple yet potent strategy the church has ever been given. And the most effective tactic for the growth of the kingdom of God is, is, is this. Are you ready? Us! Ordinary people sharing Christ wherever they may find their feet. My friends, the reason the American church is not growing like it should is not because we haven't sufficiently funded Christian camps. It is not because the mission agencies don't have the best paradigm. It is not because our association doesn't have a perfectly articulated purpose statement. My friends, what the church needs today is to simply return to the unmatched, simple plan of evangelism that Jesus gave all of us. A plan that comes great, right out of the Great Commission. That as we go into the world, that we meet everyone that we meet. We tell them who Jesus is, what He did, and how they can obtain Him. My friends, what we need today is not another parachurch ministry as good as it may be. What we need today is parents telling their children. Friends talking to friends. Workers talking to co-workers. Neighbor telling neighbors. My friends, if we want to see people come to Christ, if we want to see the power of God in our midst, if we want to see the kingdom grow, if we want to be part of something special and not just another country club that assembles, then we must simply share the gospel wherever our feet may travel for the outreach of this church cannot be found in a ministry or a program but rather in every single ordinary person leaving these doors on Sunday and telling whoever will listen on Monday because all of us are commanded To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. How long has it been since you invited a friend or simply shared the news of Christ to them? You are and I am the outreach of this church. Wherever we find ourselves for any reason that brings us there... We need the need for Jesus, we must share. Corporate church outreach programs, as good as they are, and are needed and should be implemented, cannot hold a candle compared to the bright, blinding light of every person here sharing with everyone they know. My friends, the victory is already won. All we have to do is tell people the final score. The gospel. The person. The life. The work of Jesus Christ. And how we can apply it to our lives. Here's your app. Here's your here's your homework. All of us one time this week
bring up the name of Jesus Christ in the gospel one time gracious heavenly father dismiss us with your blessing Lord your your call is so simple forgive us for complicating it abandoning it Father, we love you because you loved us first. Give us the courage to love you with all of our heart. And I pray this and I ask this for me first because I need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.